Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. Uh, we have a special KBKP on Monday, considering uh, the the much vaunted Bristol talent meetings has thrown a wrench into a lot of our scheduling. Uh, hey KP, hey KB. What's up? Hi. NBA Kenner asks, how good would the 76ers now be if they had traded their number one pick or the number three for Jimmy Butler instead of taking Mark Hill Fultz? I mean, they'd probably at that point, I think, you know, be considered the third best team in the East uh, in that discussion, I guess, with Toronto. Butler certainly would fill a a need for them. You know, I mean, you'd have what two phenomenal. Well, you'd have two phenomenal wing defenders with him and Covington. Uh, and, you know, then I, I mean, I think he's a good fit because he's someone who's capable of playing off the ball, which you're going to need next to Ben Simmons. Um you know, I think the downside would be that he'd only have a couple years left on his contract. You wouldn't be sure that he was going to stay, whereas, you know, probably they're going to use that money now to sign a free agent this summer. And uh, that person would be around for three or four years. But, he, they, I mean, they would be pretty good, don't you think? So how, how better question, how tempting do you think it would be after, like, let's say he does have two years left on the contract? How tempting do you think... The Sixers would be after those two years for him to stay. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, I think that with <laughs> they're going to have you know with Embiid and Simmons, you have two guys who can potentially be top ten players in the league. I think, and that's kind of the Do core you, think you that need would to. A guy like like Jimmy or not? I, I mean, that's an interesting. It feels like he's been willing to take a bit of a step back this year in Minnesota behind. You know, putting himself. You know, we wondered who's going to lose usage with him coming in to play with Towns and Wiggins. And so far, it's been him rather than one of those right. two guys. So this right. dov- dovetails into another question. Uh, Sam McGee asked, what's more valuable to team success, guard rebounding or big man playmaking? And the reason why, obviously, it works with what we were just talking about is, uh, is it wrong to draft point guards at this point, uh, KB? Should should everyone just be taking uh, big wings and just rely on team playmaking versus just a single position to, uh, to achieve that function? No, I think that's kind of ridiculous. Don't you, KP? I mean, I think this, you know, you look at the two best teams in the league. Uh, they have a lot of pieces. They do have team playmaking, but they also at point guard have Steph Curry and Chris Paul. Right, and, right. And then when Chris Paul is not on the court, one of them has James Harden. So, you know, the, I, I think there's still a lot of value to the, the point guard. I, I would say big man playmaking is slightly more valuable than, than guard rebounding because of the fact that then kind of both of those give you the option of having the grab-and-go defensive rebound that leads to transition, but only one of them is valuable in the half-court offense, and I think rebounding is easier to find. Defensive rebounding is easier to find than, than front-court playmaking. Brian David asks, if you could remove all injuries from any player active or retired and get to see their healthy potential who would it be wait so they have to be currently injured but not like a risk a high risk of i guess just any player that either had their career cut short due to injury or players that are active 
uh, that are high injury risk potential. You just don't have to worry about them being injured anymore. Well, I think anyone would say someone like Embiid. Uh, Active, like, currently, if, sure. If but, I mean, historically, Greg mm, Oden... If you could take one back. ...could be on the table. I mean, mm. Brandon Roy is my personal choice, that's, just for, like, completely sentimental pick, reasons. Yes. But Odin, I, I, from an intellectual standpoint, Odin, because we never got to see how good he could have been. Like, Roy, he probably already was at his peak. Embiid, we've gotten to see, you know, a pretty good idea of how good he can be. Odin just barely, it was like if Embiid had gotten injured after 20 games last year. To me, that's kind of what happened with Odin. I mean, so KP, is there anyone historically that you would uh, just further back, like would Ralph Sampson pique your interest if he if he had never been hurt? Yeah, I mean, again, I think I don't think he would have gotten much better than he was early in his career. Like to me, it's really like when it's Uh-oh. at the very start of your career that it's it's disconcerting to me. Do you want the terribly morbid answer? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was an appropriate response. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> led bias. Of course, yes. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Scott McCarthy asks, what is the... Three- oh, actually, wait, wait. Hold on. Actually, I came up with another answer. Sabonis. <laughs> if we're going oh. back. Scott McCarthy asks, what is the three-point Mendoza line? What combo of three-point shooting plus minimum attempts is the break point where a player is more harmful than helpful? Okay, if you put that in your machine and come out with an answer, please. <laughs> the machine says there there is not one right answer. Uh, I I mean I I think the one thing I would say as far as I would look at it more in terms of percentage and attempts. And I think the thing I would say is that the percentage where your your three point shoot, shooting more threes is helpful to your team is lower than people think and lower than league average because of the fact that they have those shots have value not just above and beyond the fact that you're shooting threes but also in terms of floor spacing, if teams are willing to respect you as someone who's willing to shoot threes. Is Lupa Mute a person that fits that category now? Because, I mean, historically no one respected his three-point range, but last season with the Clippers, he shot 39.1%. This year he's at 403 with the Rockets, and he's doubled his three-point uh, attempts per game from 1.4 to 2.8. You could ask the same question about Aaron Gordon. Well, Aaron Gordon is just such an outlier right now. <laughs> I mean, it's a little tough to say with Bob Mute because he's usually playing with such good players that you are going to have to leave him open because even if he is a 40% three-point shooter on like, his limited number of attempts, he's still not as good as Eric Gordon. and you know Eric Gordon? Yes. Uh, Aaron Gordon. Well, but I'm taking the other guys he's playing with. No. Although I guess he often plays with P.J. Tucker, and, and he is probably now pretty clearly a better shooter than P.J. Tucker. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Ben Falk mentioned a few weeks ago in a piece on cleaning the glass that like when they tracked uh, players' shooting percentages in practice when he was in Philadelphia, and Mba Mute, I think, did really well that season, but they kind of had to sell him on the idea of shooting threes because he had shot so few of them previously. And now he's like fully bought in. Although he's still averaging less fewer three-point attempts than he did in Philly. Right, that was just a crazy run and gun year for Philly, though, where um, they just let everyone kind of do whatever they wanted as long as it was, like, shots at the rim. Or the, the discussion was in the context of, like, Brett Brown wanted players to shoot threes, assuming they had shown the ability to do them in pra- make them in practice. Jerry Lee asks, Would a player like Shaq or Yao Ming, whom are capable of crushing everything at the rim, be able to thrive in today's game? How do you feel about Shaq and Yao Ming in today's game? Is uh, is the game too fast for players of their size now? 
No, I think they're still useful. They give me any of them on any team, I'd take it. Wouldn't you, KP? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think offensively they'd be really great. The question is, you know, more at the defensive end. Yeah. Also, Young Young Shaq, by the way, underrated agility for his size. We're talking about Magic era Shaq. Yeah. Yeah. I would no. I was going to say I don't. I don't think they're those two are equal. And then I think people think like because people. This is a weird thing I've been thinking about lately because of the fact that the back half of a player's career, or this is even true. Uh, again, somewhat more morbidly about people's lives because that's more recent. You tend to remember that better than like their peak years. You think that's fair? Is that true of of someone like Shaq though? I don't know. I feel like people remember him more, at least in the LA. I mean, the LA days were his peak, but like not defensively. He was just no, a no, different no, no. player. His peak point. was on NBA TNT when he like face planted off of the platform. <laughs> 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 Which I will choose to remember him that way. But like, I mean, yeah, no, yeah. Imagining Shaq trying to defend, uh, you know, let's say the next point, Porzingis, et cetera, and are having him shoot a bunch of threes. Like, having imagining Shaq trying to defend those pick and pops. Yeah, that's not going to go real great. Or or Yao too is even though Yao I think was a somewhat underrated defender. Vibish uh, asks, did old people- wait, 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 wait. He's changed his mind. The Beach. The oh, Beach. Oh, oh thank, thank this you. is another Sean Rosales thing. <laughs> I know. Well, no, I, he did change the pronunciation that he has on his profile, but okay. it's definitely not Vibish. The Beach. Yeah. He asks, did Oladipo get this much better from last year? No, I've always, I've always thought that Oladipo was good. I don't, I didn't think that people gave him enough credit. Probably they didn't. But uh, the thing I wrote about this last week when I was looking back on the trades I, I find getting another clickety clack in here is oh god like he has dramatically changed as a pull-up three-point shooter he has already basically made as many pull-up threes this season as he did in entire seasons in the past he's yeah. uh in the league's top 15 in that and he's shooting in 46.3 percent on pull-up three-pointers so far this year which <laughs> is an unsustainably good mark yeah, the the t- I think he's got all the tools to be really good, like a star. But every time I talk to a, a scout about him, they don't they're off of him. They don't like him. So I guess why do you think people are off about him? Because um, Orlando obviously had him for a while, and they uh, put him in a trade to get Ibaka back, and the Thunder obviously put him in a trade to get uh, Paul George, which I don't think anyone. Uh, would fault them for, but Oladipo clearly didn't show in those first two stops what he's showing so far this year. What do you think it is about that team, KP? Or well, is it the team, or is it just off-season work? I think it is that pull-up three, because what happens then, when you're as quick as Oladipo is, and he, he, the weird thing is he seems quicker to me this year, and maybe that's just because of the fact that defenses are defending him differently. But yeah. my God, he seems like impossible to stay in front of, especially if you can't play off him and let him have the pull-up jumper. So how much of this was Alfred Payton's fault? <laughs> Don't blame Alfie. Go, yeah, go ahead. Keep for, keep for Alfred Payton. <laughs> That's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's gonna, when is it going to happen? You mean it, maybe when he uh, shaves his head. <laughs> well, he, that's, that a, so that's a good hot take. Do you take, know the story yeah. behind that? Uh, that he hasn't cut his hair in like years like do you know how many years uh it's since high school isn't it yes high school 
has not touched his hair since high school. Well, hopefully he's touched Can you it. Imagine. I understand you just watched this bullying video. Yes. I did. I, I got to admit, I was unaware, blissfully unaware of it until you mentioned it as something we should discuss. Really? Because, okay, a, a ton of athletes have been weighing in on it on Twitter. I'm surprised you just saw it. Yeah, I, I got to be honest that I don't follow a ton of athletes on Twitter. Yeah, you know what? I don't either, but they get retweeted onto my timeline. Yeah. So there's a kid, like a video of this little kid and he was being bullied and I, I guess his mother in the car took a video of of him explaining what was going on at school and he was upset but kind of strong at the end and you know I, I like can't watch this video without crying because and I, and I think it's great that all these athletes have reached out to the kid like LeBron tweeted J.R. Smith tweeted but I have seen you know, in the way in which some of those tweets have been carelessly worded. And I'm kind of disappointed in the ones that go something like, I hope the bullies get what's coming to them, they suck, etc. And I think there's a better and bigger discussion here that we should be having. And, you know, way far back in like troglodyte and tribal times, enemies used to be restricted to a vicinity and now they're scattered everywhere they're all over schools and playgrounds and in digital space with digital speed and our brains haven't caught on yet that that hatred was once this sort of like prelude of sorts to actual danger it's not so any longer so in other words it's no longer a warning of some forthcoming physical danger but in believing this still because our brains haven't really entirely adapted to the modern reality that we are largely a civil society, we make the mistake of assuming that the bullies might be right and that they might have genuine insight and that we mistakenly take their attack as some form of warning, that it has something important to teach us. And we make the grave error of implicitly trusting in the basic wisdom and clarity of mind of the person delivering the attack. And our, our minds have essentially failed to recognize our modern non-tribal circumstances and acknowledge our freedom of flourishing independently and our ability to be unhampered by the narrow verdict of some corrupt judge. So now that being said, an intelligent mind is, is an open one. And when we fail to acknowledge the deficiency in or altogether non-attendance of merit in the mind of the deliverer of the attack, we fail to understand that every person is not 
our benevolent teacher. So then what starts out as an intelligent virtue transmutes into a vulnerability to any incoming information when we're not able to first properly vet the attacker and their motives. So for our own sake, I think we need to start questioning whether there's any real truth lurking in the attack rather than accept it blindly and immediately and fully. And I would urge the bullies and the bullied to understand that there is never any excuse for cruelty. So even when there is legitimate critique to be given, it should never be drenched in contempt. To critique is to make sure that you limit the psychological damage and the fallout in your point of contention. And to hate is to take a point of disagreement as a way to deliver a wholesale condemnation of a person. Our mistakes are not a part of our fundamental rottenness or bad souls. They're merely the natural plight of an honorable soul. And hate and bullying are only indicative of deep-rooted troubles and something distorting a person's own inner judgment, which leaves them free to abuse others with impunity. So as far as bullies go, my advice is do not resolve to hurt them back or to tweet like some of the athletes have and say that they should get what's coming to them, or even media members have said this, but instead to understand the beast and only worry about correcting your genuine flaws and otherwise forgive those who seek to penalize us for their own unavowed difficulties. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think going to what you're saying about kind of the difficulty of, you know, disentangling the roots of our thinking from, you know, our contemporary logic. I mean, I, you know, I think about this all the time, like, like any writer, you're occasionally going to get people online who are upset with you on Twitter and, and, uh, like, I logically know that this doesn't mean anything, but there's still a visceral emotional response that I, I think probably does drape back to those roots. And I think that's tough, even if you're, you know, logical about the actual message, the yes. tone still has meaning, which I think it probably gets to what you're saying. Uh, a big thing I've learned from that is like, I, I the way that I think about it myself is like, People have more power than they realize to influence others. Like yes. it, a well-timed compliment can have so much power just as, you know, some sort of, you know, more negative response can equally have that kind of power. And people don't treat it as a big deal, which I think is why, you know, it happens so much online in the anonymity of online spaces. But it's still got this powerful effect that you're wielding. So I try to be very conscious of that, you know, certainly in, in, in how I act online and probably don't live up to that standard. Uh, but that, that's the goals for me. I, I don't know about you guys. I mean, that's kind of the um, issue with social media these days, isn't it? That uh, we as a society haven't caught up to uh, the, I guess, the transactions of social engagement across the internet, because like you said, um, words and our, we have a lot of uh, impact over other people. And before uh, the anonymity of the digital era, uh, you could see almost immediately the impact you would have on someone, or even if it's over the phone, you can hear their reactions to it. And now, uh, because there's no consequences of anything you do, uh, it's kind of, uh, unfiltered uh, everything in a manner 
which uh, people are not more considerate about those kinds of elements. So, so what do you think as, as an athlete or someone that has some sort of platform or following, what is their, what is the proper reaction? What's their duty in that scenario? If something becomes public, there's a complicating issue to this. Um, and when I first saw this, this bullying video come up, uh, I wondered kind of what the context of the bullying was, uh, because that's, uh, in these, uh, viral video, uh, instances, you don't necessarily, sometimes you get a, uh, holistic view of what's happening and sometimes you don't. And, uh, I would say, okay, but the, but I would say usually you is, don't, by the way. Well, right. I was trying to be generous. Um, I think we should leave that out of the discussion. It's not the kid's fault. I think this is an entirely different. Um, I mean, if the mom is well, no, and I I agree, and I and I've seen some people react saying that uh, oh, it's ironic that um, the child is complaining about bullying because uh, allegedly the mom is uh, more. Uh, is, is spewing divisive rhetoric, and I felt like it was actually quite the opposite. That we should probably be more compassionate towards the kid because if you're trying to change yes. behavior, then yes, uh, it starts when people are young, and it's the, the older people get, the more calcified they become in whatever viewpoints that they have. And uh, if you're, if we as a society are trying to create uh, more empathetic, more compassionate people, then we should probably be making more of an effort to reach out to this kid, not uh, castigate him just because of um, whatever viewpoints his parents allegedly hold. 100% agree with you there. So I, I think an interesting way to connect this to sports is kind of like what kind of behavior we allow among fans at sporty events. Yes. Mm. Uh, this is timely because the Seahawks yesterday at the end of their game in Jacksonville had a couple players ejected for uh, fighting with Jaguars. And it was certainly ugly and uh, uh, nothing. there was nothing good about the behavior of those Seahawks players at the end of this game. But it was then escalated by... You know, a one of those players, Quentin Jefferson, said that he had things being thrown on him. Uh, there were some reports that you know might have had beer thrown on him, similar to uh, Metal World Peace during the Malice in the Palace. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone said that I heard, oh, there was also a report that a banana was thrown at him, which is uh, it, completely inexcusable. And then obviously uh, some derogatory terms being directed his way as well uh, of unclear severity. And then he went and tried to climb the, you know, went and tried to get into the stands to go at these fans. Uh, Fortunately, you know, was prevented from doing so. So we didn't have the kind of fan player violence that we saw at the Malice in the Palace. But, you know, do we have to ask ourselves, like, why, why is it okay to have such open hatred and name calling and this sort of thing at a sporty event? Right. You know, I don't think I'm, I would never Justify, I, I don't think it's justified that a, a player would go into the stands or like I, I, under, I understand the, the reaction because I, and I can't tell you mine would be any better. But I, I, I think the issue lies within what the arena tolerates from the fans. And to some extent, I mean, there's only so much that you can do as, you know, an, yeah. an individual organization or stadium, but. I think it's just the general culture of hatred. You get talk about the roots of this in tribalism. 
one of the there are a handful yes. of places that we still are allowed to you know in, indulge yes. those tribal instincts and sporting events are probably the most publicly acceptable uh most popular one of those right Right, because in a world where like no one fits in and everyone's trying to be individual and blah 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 blah, like a sporting arena is the one place where you can go and be among like-minded-ish people and stand for something. That's why so many people compared this election to sports and teams and whatever, because you are essentially uh, retrograding ever back to barbarism and tribalism and all of that. <laughs> barbarism is our deep our deep roots in uh, being barbers, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I, and this is probably a larger question about tribalism. Is it possible to be supportive of your tribe, or in this case, your team, mm. without by default also having to be antagonistic to the other tribe or the other team? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it's... Um, essential to be that way in a violent way or what but yeah i mean that's a great question like does it i mean clearly it does naturally bring that out of people and apparently that's in our brains still but um i don't know if it's essential yeah i mean it's just is there a way to strip it out and you know this is the case of you know how can we create nationalism which is good without having that turn into xenophobia, which is bad. Right. I mean, you know, can you, can, is the, the negative component of tribalism inextricably linked to the positive component of it that binds us together and, you know, uh, allows us to share as a society and create societies can, or are those, you know, inextricably linked? The, the other thing I think, by the way, that's in, that connects, you know, the way players are treated often at sporty events as visitors with the way people are treated online is that there's that same dehumanizing nature, which is something Quentin Jefferson specifically spoke to after the game. You know, he said, I, I'm still a human being. I'm, even though I'm a football player, I'm still a human being. That was a really smart point, KP. <laughs> Thank you. No, it really was. <laughs> oh, the other, well, the other thought I had about this is uh, the book I'm reading right now is uh, The Better Angels of Our Nature by Steven Pinker, which you would appreciate. He kind of connects the idea that humans became less accepting of torture in the 18th century going forward to the proliferation of novels after the invention of the printing press and the way that those created empathy. So very similar to something you've discussed in the past, KB. But, uh, you know, his general point is that as negative as everything seems today, there has been an ongoing trend toward less violence in human society over time. And, you know, that things, well, there might be steps forward and backward on the long enough scale, the I guess it's kind of like the idea of the, uh, you know, the arc bends towards justice, that kind of notion. Um, and, and I think in, in that context, like bullying, I, I feel like it is treated very differently than when I was a kid. Certainly, you know, it's treated with a much greater degree of seriousness. And, and that's yeah. a good thing. KB, where would you create the distinction between trolling or being petty or like needling someone versus bullying? Because uh, I feel like some people bully, especially on the internet. And then when someone is called out on it, they're like, oh, I was just needling. What you don't you don't get it? Like, uh, I'm sorry that you don't you can't take a joke or something like that. Um, 
How do how do we qualify one versus the other? That's a good question. Um, I'm really I'm not too sure because it's so. I think that's kind of an amorphous target. Like that's 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 tough. And but I, and I don't know that I have the answer. But I think there is is or I, I think the better question is: Is there a difference? Yeah, I not mean that's a fair question. I I mean I think you know if I were to draw a distinction, it's probably like like needling. If the person, like, if you're doing it with your friends and if they're laughing, if the per- target is laughing too, and if everyone right. becomes a target, that's, you know, that's probably something that's okay. It's when right. the person is not laughing, they are clearly bothered by it. And, you know, Wait, but, it's, but that's, how do you know? If you're on the internet, how do you know? That's, yeah, it's very difficult. It's true. Like, I, one thing I, I always wonder about, uh, like, there are some people I know who, like, when their f- friend's sports team loses, like, particularly in college, you know, like, their college sports team, you'll, like, rib them mercilessly about it, as opposed to, like, I don't feel like I have that relationship with my friends. Like, people know better than to say anything to me if, if one of my teams loses, and at the same time, I would never <laughs> oh, say anything. Okay. I would want to be, <laughs> would want to be consoling. Like, I have a friend who's, like, the, the most diehard K- Kansas Jayhawk fan, and, like, uh, when they lose in the NCAA tournament, it's like oh, check in to make sure she's okay, not like ha ha your team lost. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that gets at like on the other side. I know there's all this bad like we talk about tribalism and stuff, but sports also kind of give you a, a corrective to the normal pressure to be emotionally guarded and empathetic and intelligently ambivalent. I guess in ordinary life, we're not really meant to take sides too strongly, and we're always supposed to imagine what bit of truth may lie within the opposition but at least in those brief moments during a sporting event you can be wholly and widely partisan or wildly partisan but in your excitement in sport differences in your in people's statuses are erased so hmm, you're all spectators yeah so we're all spectators and supporters of the same team in that moment right so your job description which is always kind of a painfully skewed reflection of who you really are, can be forgotten in that moment. And the rest of life is kind of suspended. So the CEO is cheering alongside the, I don't know, garbage collector. And the, the, either one of them's teams uh, on the opposite side could be could win, the other one could lose, and they're all created equal in that moment, kind of. You know what I'm saying? So there is, I know we're talking about like the bad, uh, effects of sports and the bad tribalism and all that and how how do we separate or is it inextricably linked from is nationalism inextricably linked from xenophobia and all of that but there is like you have to acknowledge the positive of it too uh, oh absolutely I mean you know I think that's one of the reasons that cities pr- pursue sports teams and are willing to oftentimes pay the subsidies that they are to wealthy owners to bring their teams there KB did you watch the uh, Boston College Duke game on Saturday oh no but I know the result <laughs> I, it was kind of incredible I watched the last four minutes of that one as BC pulled the upset against undefeated number one Duke and like I can't remember the last time I've seen a group of fans that excited for a win. Oh. Like they were preparing to storm the court for so long and so excited about it. KB, you should have seen this when we beat Syracuse. Like, <laughs> unbel- you don't, they came back, I swear to God, this is true. It was during like midterms or finals or something. 
And they all came back on buses and had a parade in the middle of the night just because, like, we won a regular in-season game. (laughs) 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 And, like, the the players, too, like, you would think they'd be like, oh, hey, thanks, guys. Like, this is too much. It's just an in-season game. Like, it's kind of sad that you're this excited. But they were like, get the champagne! And everyone forgot that how horrible midterms were. There's the unifying power of sports. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this special edition of Hashtag KBKP. Keep those questions coming, and we'll be back soon. We'll be back soon.